It's March 2018. Jen Lampton on the Backdrop Community. Welcome to Hacking Culture, free software and the art of hacking. Hacking Culture is sponsored by Lullabot, and I'm your host, Matthew Tift. Welcome back to Hacking Culture. As we continue our look into the backdrop community, and today I am lucky enough to be joined by one of the founding forkers of Backdrop, Jen Lampton. How are you doing today, Jen? I'm great. Thanks. How are you? I am doing well. Let's jump right in and talk a little bit about the Backdrop community. So maybe we can start off by just talking about what your role is in Backdrop. Sure. So um, my official role is the project lead, which means that I'm in charge of people. Um, And that goes very loosely. Like we don't have any paid employees. Um, What it really means is that I run the meetings every week and I try and organize everybody who's interested in working on Backdrop to make sure that the things that need to get done, get done. So when you say meetings every week, what does that involve? So we do um, two meetings every week. We have a a developer check-in, which is also just kind of a general community check-in where anyone who wants to do any work on Backdrop Core can find out what our priorities are. We also talk about things that need to happen for Backdrop but aren't necessarily the software itself. So work on any of the peripheral websites or if we have any projects we're working on, we don't right now. Um, but where we might also need help, we can kind of point at those and say, if you're interested in getting involved, these are the things that are most important for us right now. Um, And then we have two additional meetings that are fortnightly, so once every two weeks. And we have one that's specifically focused on design and usability, and then we have another one that's focused on community outreach. So these are things that developers like myself are not necessarily very good at, but it's a place where we wanted to kind of create a space for people who do have those skills to be able to come in and lend their expertise if they have time available to do so. Anybody can join these meetings, just hop in and talk about Backdrop? Yep. The meetings are public, they're on Google Hangouts, and we also do a live stream on YouTube. And then after the live stream, they get posted publicly onto one of our YouTube channels so that if you weren't available at that time of day but wanted to see what we're working on, you can watch them anytime later. So if you are around at that exact time, we encourage people to join, even if you don't have any questions, just to kind of come and say hello. We're trying to create a sort of a welcoming environment for anyone. And every meeting has an open Q&A section at the end of it. So even if you're not particularly interested in design, you can come to the design meeting and you can ask a question at the end. So it's trying to kind of keep the lines of communication open between everyone in the community um, and give everybody a chance to kind of see smiling faces from around the world, other people working with Backdrop. Do the people that join this meeting, are these generally people that are just interested in backdrop or people that are more hardcore or it sounds like maybe it's a mix of of those two yeah 
It's a mix. It's uh, it varies week by week, you know, based on who's available at that time or who has time to work on backdrop during that particular time of year. Um, there's almost always one or two hardcore people in each meeting. And then there's often other people that just pop in for a meeting or two to say hello, to ask some questions, or if you have some free time, maybe write a blog post and they want to know, you know, it's okay if I write on this topic, can somebody review it for me? Um, anything like that, we encourage people to just come and say hi. Sometimes we have people bring questions about projects they're currently working on. Sometimes they bring more philosophical questions about what is backdrop and is it for me? Um, so it's, it's all over the place. Sometimes people bring, you know, really great ideas. Can I do this with backdrop? Is this something that would be a good fit? Um, so we kind of try and try and help all of those people communicate with each other through having the weekly meetings, but it also, they keep us on track. So multi-purpose. So if somebody showed up to one of those meetings and did ask that question, what is backdrop and is it for me? How would you answer? Uh, we've got a couple of uh, pretty good metrics. Um, the first one is just making sure that you understand who it's for and what its primary goal is. And that is pretty much not enterprise. Um, we're focused on meeting the needs for small and medium sized businesses, nonprofits, higher educations, groups that normally have a pretty constrained budget uh, and need a lot of functionality. Backdrop is a great fit for that because it's something that has a really great user interface. So editors are going to like it. And it's pretty easy to click together all the pieces um, from previous years. So, you know, it, it's, it's a previous version of Drupal. It's, it's something that will be very familiar to anyone who already has a Drupal site. So if you're trying to keep your learning curve down and you already have Drupal skills, it's really great. Um, but the biggest thing is about understanding where it's going in the future because uh, we have specifically drawn a line and said, you know, we're not going to decouple anything. We're not going to um, build in a services layer. Like it's just there. There's a limit to what makes sense for the group that we're working on, and saying, you know, those things are possible and can trib, but that's not going to be where our primary focus will be in core. And so, just kind of having the lines there. If you're looking for an ambitious, ambitious digital experience, <laughs> you already have a great option for CMS. Um, and so we're just trying to get everybody on board with that. And then our, our main goal in doing this is understanding that um, we're trying to decrease the cost of long-term website ownership. So not just building a new site, but owning it um, two years, five years, 10 years into the future. And if you're already feeling like your company organization is on Drupal and struggling with those costs, increased hosting costs, increased developer costs, um, that's something that we're trying to fix. So a lot of the improvements we're putting in Backdrop are specifically to mitigate the increasing costs. Since you're the person who runs those meetings and talks to these people on a weekly basis, it seems like you would have a pretty good sense for the pulse of who's using Backdrop. And I've heard you talk a lot about Backdrop in terms of its goal of being something for small to medium-sized businesses and nonprofits. How do you think during these first three years of backdrop that you're doing with that goal? I think we're doing pretty well. Um, I don't actually have a, a great feel for the people who are currently using backdrop because I only talk to the people who come to the meetings and the people who actively reach out. And based on our usage statistics, there are a whole lot of people out there that are not that involved. 
Um, so I don't know what they are, what they're doing with Backdrop. Um, I, I don't find out until people post sites in the showcase section of the website sometimes what sites they're working on. Um, but my guess is that we're doing pretty well uh, just because people seem to understand the target market and the sites that are great test cases for a new platform are often the simpler ones. So um, yeah, I mean, I would hope that we're hitting that market. It definitely feels like a good position for the sites that I'm working on personally. Um, of course, I do have a, a very specific perspective going into that. Um, but we are also attracting a lot of people who don't necessarily consider themselves developers. Like I have a website I have to take care of, or you know, I like to click together the pieces of a puzzle, but I don't really want to get into the code. And the fact that we see these people emerging in the backdrop community and taking more of a leadership role in our community, I think is also a good sign because those are the people that I'm most interested in helping. On backdrop CMS, it says that currently there are 1,097 community members. How is that number determined? So that is the count of the people who have created user accounts on backtrackcms.org. It does not include people who have GitHub accounts and maybe participating in our live chat on Gitter or in the issue queue. Um, we felt it was kind of hard to count GitHub users because we weren't sure those were people that would identify as being part of our community or not. It might not be a fair number. Um, so we decided not to use the GitHub API and count those people, but instead just to count people who've actually created accounts on our site. And we have some pretty good spam prevention tools on there. We got set up pretty early. So I don't think there we have a lot of uh, robots or um, spam generating accounts on the site right now. So I think those are all human beings who actively signed up. So you could take, for example, the people who have GitHub accounts that are participating in Backdrop, the people that have accounts on Backdrop CMS, the people that have attended these weekly meetings, and you would get a, a very different mix of people in each of those kinds of groups. I think so. And we're also, we've also created a new forum site. Um, and the original goal was to have a single sign-on tool that would work between GitHub the main backdrop site and the forum site. So we'd have one way to count that number, um, but that isn't set up yet. So I think we've got new people showing up in the forum first, asking questions there. And then only once they're satisfied, they move to backdrop CMS, the main site to create an account there. So there, I think our accounts might be more on the low side, um, but then that I feel like kind of is fair with maybe not all those people are invested yet anyway. So um, I think it's a fair it's a fair number, even though it may not be completely accurate. So it sounds like you're not too worried about some sort of exact number in terms of who's participating. But how do you feel sort of generally about how the project's going and how the community is working at this point? I feel like it's pretty good. Um, it's always hard to look at backdrops numbers in comparison to a project like Drupal because Drupal has been around for so long and it's been so successful. Uh, people coming from the Drupal community look at backdrop and the numbers look really small. But if you compare backdrop as a project to any other, you know, CMS that's only been around for three years, we're actually doing really well. Um, when we first landed on GitHub, we were one of their like, fastest growing projects initially in terms of number of people getting involved. 
Um, so I think it, it's important to kind of take a step back and look at the larger picture and not just compare backdrop to Drupal. Um, we are constantly getting new people. We're constantly getting new projects. We're constantly getting um, not only people who are possibly interested in backdrop, but people who are committed to backdrop, uh, companies that are moving their business onto backdrop. Um, so I think, I think we're in a good place. For the first few years, there was a lot of wait and see, uh, which makes sense. I mean, nobody really knew when Drupal 8 was coming out at that point. Nobody knew what the future of backdrop would be after Drupal 8 came out. Uh, so there was a lot of um, people who were curious but not committed. And now Drupal 8's been out for two years, Backdrop's been out for three years. Everybody kind of has a feel for where each community is going. And it makes more sense that uh, people are more confident in making a decision. So uh, just the past, you know, the beginning of this year, we've seen a lot of um, not just interest or support, but commitment and movements onto the platform, which I think is really exciting. In the last episode of Hacking Culture, which you probably Listen to episode 14. I talked with Brian Frias and his company has started to standardize on backdrop. Have you encountered many companies that have made a similar choice? So it's an excellent question. Brian is one of my clients and I actually hadn't, I didn't know that his company had chosen to standardize on backdrop until I listened to the podcast. So I like let out a little squeal when I heard that. <laughs> it was very exciting. Um, yeah, so I helped him with that first project and he was just so blown away with it. Um, not only from the development side, he's pretty savvy when it comes to code. He's a systems administrator. He can handle the, manage the server. Um, and I didn't know he was uh, planning on moving all of his properties over. He just kind of ran with it by himself, which I think is fantastic that people are able to kind of see how something works and then do it, you know, repeat. Um, which is great. Uh, I know there's a, a, a Drupal development company in Australia that has decided that all of their clients will be moving to Backdrop in the future. Um, there are a couple of other organizations that have also recently announced that they um, have tried Drupal 8 and it may be not a great fit for their clients. Um, there you know, a, a couple of people just this month who've made that, that commitment, which is really nice. So I'm not sure um, from like a company business decision, how many more people there are like Brian, because those are not, you know, Brian is an anomaly because he was my client, but those are not usually the people who are super involved in the community. So those aren't people I'm talking to. Um, but other people that I am talking to, there are developers who work at or run agencies. The fact that they're saying all of my clients are gonna be on backdrop from now on, I think is even bigger. Because then once they show that to an agency, if an agency likes it as much as Brian's company did, you know, they're going to be like, we want all of our sites on backdrop too. So it, there's kind of a chain there where I can talk to the developer people, but I don't necessarily talk to the decision makers. Um, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping everybody likes it as much as Brian's editors do. That made me so happy that just because usability is such a big focus for us to know that the work that we're putting into making Backdrop more usable is having an effect on the people we don't get to talk to, right? That the end users, the people who are creating content, the people who have to work with the software every day, we don't have a direct line of communication with them most of the time. So we're kind of trying to make a better experience for them, but without direct feedback, it's hard to know if it's working. And so to hear that, you know, even secondhand that they loved it and found it e easier to use than WordPress, was just a huge compliment. So it um, makes me really grateful for all of the work everybody has been putting into 
usability on Backdrop and how you know we have teams of people who are committed to just going through the user interface and taking pictures and saying, this is confusing. And then a lot of brainstorming on how to make it better. And, you know, it's great to see that pay off. It seemed like Brian enjoyed not just the software, but also the community as well. He seemed to like how he could ask people questions and get answers. And he compared it to earlier days with Drupal. And it did make me wonder about how Backdrop has been scaling in terms of getting bigger. You have a committee that helps run things. Do you guys have targets or are you, do you do sort of marketing or other types of things to try and grow the Backdrop project? You know, those would, those are excellent ideas to have things like targeting and marketing. Um, but, <laughs> uh, no, we've been we've been just doing things organically for the most part. You know, build something you love and then tell your friends about it, and then they'll tell their friends about it, sort of thing. Um, uh, we, uh, you know, we we are a bunch of developers for the most part. We have a couple of people of experience in other areas. We have a great um, marketing team that helps us put out our newsletter every month. But for the most part, we don't we don't really have an agenda. We don't have goals. We're just kind of, you know, the, the point of this software is so that people can afford to stay on the platform they're on, right? They can upgrade an existing site. And if that saves money for those people, you know, which it has been doing for the last three years, hopefully it'll be more people going in the future, then this is gonna be a success. Um, so if, if moving to Backdrop is a, financially better option for your organization than staying on Drupal, then we've won. And I think that so far that's great. Um, we've got other goals, obviously. Uh, we would love it if we could help more people, but we haven't been doing anything in particular to make sure we get there. Um, we're doing some uh, logistical changes in terms of making sure that the organization stays healthy. Uh, we just joined a group called the Software Freedom Conservancy that is specifically um, a fiscal and legal sponsor for open source projects that have a GPL license, which is great. That's exactly who we are. Um, and they'll help with um, uh, not only fiscal and legal sponsorship, but advice, and particularly around like how to raise money and how to engage your community and things that we don't already know. And so I'm thinking that this coming year, as we start to get more um, actively involved with their resources for us, we'll be able to change that a little bit and do a little bit better on things like marketing and growth and strategy and all that stuff that, you know, so far we've just been like, build something cool and, you know, try and solve problems with it. And I feel happy that you guys move over to Software Freedom Conservancy because that's a great organization. I think that conversation actually happened in the first episode of Hacking Culture with your husband, Nate. <laughs> it might have, yeah. Where was... I suggested maybe you should check out the Software Freedom Conservancy. <laughs> we checked it out. We loved it. Uh, we had a lot of great conversations with them. They were going through um, uh, a bit of a hard year that year because they were defending a couple of their groups in court. So we had a bit of a pause on actually joining their team. Um, but they came back to us last year and said, okay, you know, we've worked through all of our applications. You're on the top of the stack. Do you want to join? And we said, yes. Uh, and now we've gotten all of our paperwork in order and we should, we should have an announcement pretty soon um, for people 
to be able to make you know tax deductible donations and that sort of thing we don't quite have all of our um uh i's dotted and t's crossed yet but very soon we should we should have all that information available for everyone so that might actually be relevant to the topic of the backdrop community because some people who know drupal would know that there's a drupal association that helps promote the drupal community but you guys have chosen to go through the software freedom conservancy where they provide some of the similar types of services that i guess the drupal community gets from the drupal association have there been any changes that have come out of that since you guys joined that have affected the backdrop community so there's two questions there like are there going to be any changes that affect the backdrop community uh, as well as has that changed the way you've been perceived and I'm not really sure how we are perceived. I, every time I talk to people in the Drupal community, they seem to not understand that we have a different model, which makes sense. I mean, um, we came from the Drupal community. It is likely that we would have adopted a similar model to what's happened there. Um, but in terms of like when you create a fork uh, and you feel like you want to take your software in a different direction and you come from a community where everything happens a specific way, if you build, rebuild the same community with everything happening in the same way, you might end up going the same direction as the a project you split off from. And so that was something we were thinking about. Like, there's no point in forking if we both end up in the same place, right? <laughs> That's not what a fork is. So how do we uh, create a fork that goes in a different direction and stays in the direction it's pointed, right? Um, and, and, and if the, that direction needs to change, like what is our process for doing that? So before creating a fork, we had to go kind of back to the very root of like, how are decisions made? Who makes them? What what rules do we use to make a decision? Like, are there guidelines or is it just what we want? Um, and we ended up writing everything down and we ended up with a very different methodology than what Drupal uses. Um, and every time I talk to someone from the Drupal community, they don't necessarily know how that works. So I think switching to you know using the software freedom conservancy instead of forming our own nonprofit to manage it um, that might be something that's way too in the weeds for anyone to understand um, or even to know we're working on just because they didn't even know we're different um, but yeah we have we have a project management committee who decides what happens to backdrop the project um, and that means not only helping make technical decisions should this feature go in or not but also like who does backdrop serve and what what is important to our community and every technical decision that's made should be measured against those tenants of like who do we serve and what's best for the community and if the technical decision doesn't line up with the philosophy we have to change the philosophy first and publicly state like this is where we're going and if it feels like you know the internet changes and a long time ago we didn't access websites from mobile phones and we had to account for that that's gonna happen again in the future. Like who knows what we're gonna be fighting. And maybe someday the philosophy we stated today won't be what we want. And so the first step is to change the philosophy. So the entire community knows what we're about. And if they don't want what we're doing, they'll have an opportunity to opt out early. And then once we have the philosophy changed, we can make a decision that aligns with the philosophy. So all of the decisions we make need to align with that philosophy. So that's kind of a different thing um, that the, the, the committee is called a project management committee. That's a model that Apache's used for all of their open source projects. Um, they are uh, 
also supposed to represent the entire community. They're not just supposed to represent core developers. So we have people in there who consider themselves non-developers. We have people in there who are representing like the business needs of the community. So not only is it like, okay, what do you think is best for the community? But it's not just one mindset of what they think is best for the community. We try and make sure the whole community is making those decisions. Um, and where the Software Freedom Conservancy comes in is, uh, you know, they serve a lot of community communities that have the same sort of structure, they'll be able to help us through any roadblocks that we might come across that we don't know how to solve. Um, they'll be able to help us on the marketing side because we don't know how to do that. They'll really help us with the legal side if we get into any trouble. And it just makes a lot more sense to not have to figure out how to do this ourselves. Um, there are people who are experts at this stuff and we are not them. <laughs> and having a group to go to that can help us manage that, I think is going to be a lot more sensible than trying to create our own and work our way through it. And I think that there's also, um, a, a, it's a little confusing like what uh, the Drupal Association does for the Drupal community. And there are a lot of people in the community who aren't very happy with that relationship or don't understand the relationship. And I think um, by using another group that has like very clear lines about what they do and don't do uh, and sort of a model that other groups have also adopted. It'll be easier for anyone who might have experience with Git and how they work to come into a project like Backdrop and be like, oh, it's the same. Um, so we're not kind of inventing our own wheel about how to manage our project in our community. Just to clarify then, the Git project is itself another project that is part of the Software Freedom Conservancy. Is that what you meant? Yeah, that's correct. One of the things that you mentioned early in that answer well, there's a number of kind of interesting things to me, but one of them was you tr You sounded like you were saying you guys specifically try to be different from the Drupal community. Is that correct? Yeah. And part of that was, um, you know, a, a lot of us, Nate and I in particular, had been a, members of the Drupal community for a very long time. We'd been very involved in um, community development as well as uh, pretty deeply involved in core development. And we got to see how all the decisions were made. We got to see um, how that process affected the community. Uh, and we were like, okay, we were here for very involved members of the community for 12 years or so and didn't really know where Drupal was going. Um, and when we got there, we were spending a bunch of time, you know, telling people like, we don't like where it's going. We don't like where it's going. And it, everyone else was like, we do. And so it was like, okay, the, the problem is that our goals aren't aligned. It's not that there's a right way and a wrong way to do anything. It's that we're trying to pull it in different directions. And if it had been stated, you know, at the very beginning, these are what our goals are, and this is what we're doing, there wouldn't have been that kind of conflict in the issue queues or in person about trying to decide what's most important for the project, because everybody would have been on board about, you know, the pro this is what the project is doing. Does this decision align with it? Yes, no. <laughs> and granted, there's a lot of gray area, even, even in backdrop. Um, but it, we thought it might have created a, a situation where um, you know, it would have been easier for those of us who were involved to even understand why the decisions that were being made were being made the way they were. And it would have created something where you felt, um, uh, you didn't feel quite like you were fighting a losing battle if you knew what the battle was you were fighting. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was the kind of thing where like, how do we prevent this from happening all over again? if we're gonna if we're gonna fork the project and we just let it go organically wherever it goes um what if it gets taken right back to drupal 
you know, that, that wouldn't be, that would be a lot of wasted effort for nothing. Um, so we tried to figure out like, how do we create a different structure that's gonna ensure that this project goes to specifically benefit the people we wanna benefit and not um, the enterprise or, you know, the people with the most money or the people with the most um, time or the people with the most personal agenda or whatever it is. Um, we just wanted to make sure that the people with the least voice were still um, represented and got what they needed out of it too. So it is interesting to try and tease apart the difference at this time between the backdrop community and the Drupal community. Because so, we could look at it on, say, the code level. And if you look at the backdrop project on GitHub, the number one contributor to backdrop is Dries. And the number yeah. two contributor is WebChick. And, yeah. and that's just obviously because of all of the Drupal code and the fact that it's a forked. So there's this obvious connection on a code level, but also just sort of on the community level, what I've found interesting talking to people about Backdrop is that there's still quite a bit of overlap between the Backdrop community and the Drupal community. Do you think that there are aspects of the Backdrop community that at this time are sort of differentiating it from Drupal as if, like, is there a way that you talk about the backdrop community as its own thing? Um, yeah, so I think like the, there's definitely a lot of overlap between the two. I would say right now um, the backdrop community is still mostly a subset of the Drupal community with a few people who've come over from WordPress and a few people who've just come in, you know, without any previous experience, discovered backdrop, tried it for something and then stayed. Um, but for the most part, you know, the reason backdrop exists is because it is the next step for a lot of people who are on Drupal 7. Uh, and so it makes sense that there's a lot of overlap between people who are either uh, still on Drupal 7, um, you know, had recently been on Drupal 7. Uh, a lot of people have multiple websites or multiple projects they're working on and some are on Backdrop and some are on 7. And the selling point of Backdrop is that it's the same skill set. So of course there's gonna be an overlap in the community. Um, we also do a lot of talks and trainings and sprints and sessions and summits and boffs at Drupal events because the information that you share about a Drupal 7 project is still relevant to almost any backdrop project. Um, the same thing is true the other way around, like best practices in backdrop development are very similar to the best practices in Drupal development. And so I think the communities will remain intertwined and overlapped for as long as Drupal 7 is still a solution for people in the world. And I imagine that being a very long time. Um, you know, people are still running Drupal 6 sites today, even though it's after end of life, I, I would imagine that long tail of life is going to be even longer for Drupal 7, just because the change from 6 to 7 was big, but the change from 7 to 8 is bigger, which means it's going to take all of the 7 sites a much longer time to get on board. Um, so as long as the solutions are the same and the information is relevant, I imagine the two communities being intertwined. 
Um, I'm also just on a day-to-day -day basis. I still do a lot of work on Drupal projects, um, you know, contrib projects, even Drupal core patches. It's just something that uh, is built into the way that a lot of developers do work to work on a project for a client and take that fix and give it back to the community. And so I don't see myself not working on Drupal 7 um, anytime in the near future. And so I still wanna be involved in Drupal events. And um, I feel like a lot of people in the Vector community probably share the same um, feelings. So you mentioned spending time on Drupal and Backdrop in any given week. How much time do you think you spend on those two projects? So um, I, it varies week by week. Like right now I'm working on um, two big upgrades to backdrop, which are taking most of my time. But I do have contracts with clients that require that every week I go and check for security updates on all of their properties. Um, and if there are any updates at all, apply them, make sure they work, test any patches against them. Like I have ongoing relationships with a lot of Drupal projects that I maintain and they come up with requests and new features all the time. Um, and so I often will look at their requests and say like, oh, you know, is this a big enough request that you don't wanna invest in Drupal 7 and it's time to move to Backdrop? Or is the cost of moving to Backdrop still too much for you right now? Um, this is, you know, one of the things of having a new project is the longer you wait, uh, the more affordable it gets because more people have done it <laughs> before you. Um, so every year I kind of reevaluate each project and say like, can you afford this now? No, okay, we'll try next year. Um, and so I think, you know, over time, the amount of Drupal 7 work I'm gonna be doing is gonna be decreasing because of the more of those sites will be moving to backdrop. Right now I'd say I'm probably about 60% um, backdrop, 40% Drupal. I have one Drupal 8 project <laughs> working on. Most of my Drupal projects are all seven still. And then I have these new backdrop ones. So um, that's, I think a little different last year. It was probably about 50-50. And then before that, it was maybe the other way around like 30 backdrop, 70 Drupal. Um, so yeah, I'm getting there. It's, I actually have so much work right now. I've hired a bunch of subcontractors to help me with some of my backdrop stuff, just cause I have uh, too many sites that want to move all at once. And I, I'm a, one person company. So I can't, I can't do it all by myself. And it's great to be able to bring in, um, you know, friends of mine from the Drupal world who might not have decided to do backdrop on their own, where I'm like, Hey, do it for me. And then if you have any questions, you can ask me about it. And that seems to give people enough confidence to give it a shot. And then once they start working on it, it turns out they don't need to ask me any questions, which is great because I already know everything. Um, but I think there's a little bit of that, you know, blind spot going in where you're like, I don't know if I'm going to know it all. Um, so yeah, I would imagine, you know, more people giving it a shot and it changing the future and maybe their model will start to look like mine in terms of percentage of dribble the backdrop work. Over the years, in addition to having paid clients, this is basically a labor of love for you because this is something that you're essentially a volunteer for backdrop. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not really any different for me than when I worked on Drupal. Um, I, I quit my job. I was working at Chapter 3 for five years. I quit working there because I wanted to have more free time to work on the Drupal project. Um, I, I've now been on my own for five years. And it just, you know, three and a half years ago, it switched from spending my free day every week from working on Drupal 8 
to spending my free day every week to working on backdrop. Um, but the rest of my work isn't, it's, I don't feel like it's, um, necessarily that I'm volunteering. It's it, the way my business model works for my company is that, um, I build websites for people. And if you need a new feature or something that doesn't exist, I write a module for you, but I give it away for free to the community that's built into the contract. Um, if you have a bug in your site and you need me to fix it, that's fine. I'll fix it for you. But that patch is like, it's a core patch. It's going back in the issue queue. It's a patch for a contrib project. It's going in the issue queue. And that price is built into, you know, hiring me to do that work. And so, um, what that means is over time, every time you apply an update for that module, that problem's now fixed for everyone. And so you no longer have to maintain the cost of that patch. So you get that money back in the long term because you're no longer... Um, you know, needing to do so much to work to maintain your site. But it also means that the more clients I have, whether they're for Drupal or for Backdrop, like the better Drupal and Backdrop get. <laughs> so it it's, it's a labor of love, but it doesn't mean I have to do it all for free. I definitely donate, you know, one day a week to a project. And especially when Backdrop was really young, there were things where I would give, you know, I had an early adopter discount for um, any client that wanted modules ported. For example, it's like, I'm not going to charge you a full price for porting a module that, you know, everybody's going to benefit from, including, you know, myself in the future. But uh, it was something that would help the cost of, you know, moving to Backdrop for clients. But now we're at a point where you get enough for free by moving to Backdrop that, even including the cost of porting a module or two, it's still going to be a much more affordable option than moving to anything else. And so I feel like we're no longer at the point where I have to kind of bend over backwards to make it affordable for people. So it's a labor of love, but it's it's also a business. It's just a business that works in the way that I can um, still make sure both communities benefit from having clients running on the software. It's interesting to me how you are describing Backdrop as an alternative that's not designed for large enterprises and how ever since you've started talking about b backdrop, you, you frequently discuss it in financial terms, in terms of people saving their businesses money and in terms of you using backdrop as a tool for your business. So it sounds like you really do view this mostly as like a tool for nonprofits and small to medium-sized businesses, but it's it's a tool and it at, at its heart, this isn't just like a fun project. This is a business for you. Is that accurate? Yeah. And I definitely think like um, enterprises are very savvy businesses. Um, and I don't, like there's no reason an enterprise wouldn't choose Backdrop. Um, you know, enterprises run on WordPress when it's the right tool for the job. I just think that having like a very clear statement of what our priorities are uh, makes sure that we will continue to serve the audience that we currently find, um, you know, our, 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 our audience, the people who would benefit the most. And for me, like, I feel like the enterprises, they can do whatever they want. They can hire teams of developers. They're going to be fine. They don't need help in the same way that nonprofits and small businesses do. They're not struggling. They're not looking to technology to help solve their problems. Uh, well, that's not true. Everybody's looking at technology helps solve their problems. Um, but I feel like not not in a way where it's like, how, how can we save money by automating this thing? Or how can we, you know, stay afloat <laughs> um, by saving money by automating this thing? Um, and I feel like they're going to have um, the ability to find a solution wherever they look. 
Um, and I want to make sure that we're creating solutions that will help people that maybe wouldn't have any other options um, or wouldn't have an option that's as right a fit for their needs. And so uh, it, it is, it's hard to talk about software in terms of money um, when the real goal is like helping people, like I want to help people. <laughs> um, but you you have to say, well, what do they need? And unfortunately, we live in a world that is governed by like how much good you can afford to do. And that usually comes down to money. <laughs> so it's all interconnected. And I think that um, saving people money, saving developers time, uh, making companies able to do things they might not be able to do without the help of technology, that's kind of where I want to be. So I talk about it in terms of money a lot because that's the language that people understand. Um, but underneath that, it's really about trying to help people do the most good. And that comes through pretty loud and clear that you view this as helping other people more so than you're just in it for the technology or you're just in it for helping these particular sized businesses, which leads me to another question, which is about a, a book that Jono Bacon wrote. It's called The Art of Community. And he talks about building communities. And he, he thinks that when it comes down to it, people get involved with communities for one simple reason, and that is belonging. Do you think Backdrop offers some sort of place that allows people to belong in a way that is different from just Backdrop as technical solution? I hope so. I mean, I feel like most open source communities create a place where people can find that feeling of belonging um you know you get involved you find other people in the community who are like-minded maybe trying to solve the same problems as you you feel like you can work together you can collaborate share ideas share solutions it's not always about the technology um i also also believe that there's something about human nature that makes us need community and we find it in various different ways whether it's your you know book club or your church group or your online community of people writing software, like people are drawn to groups of other people. And in Backdrop, I want our community to be welcoming to everybody, regardless of whether you're a developer or not. This is a developer community for sure. But I want new people to be comfortable coming in and saying, hey, I have this problem. Can you help me solve it? And not feeling stupid for being a beginner. Um, and that's something that I felt like, you know, in a lot of communities of technical people, um, a lot of the more advanced people don't have time to deal with the questions for the beginners and the beginners feel uncomfortable in that environment. Um, and because we're specifically targeting backdrop towards people who are not savvy developers, like just humans that have websites that need to get taken care of, we need to make sure that our environment is more inviting to those kinds of people. So we've, you know, posted some language on our um, on our forum site, and we've posted a code of conduct, and we're trying to make it into the kind of place where anyone who knows they show up, they have to treat others with a certain type of respect. Um, and I think that that's going to be helpful. And I think that having done that already is making some of these people who haven't felt that sense of belonging in the Drupal community 
find it in backdrop just because they come in, they have the same curiosities, they have the same interests, but if they don't feel um, afraid of, you know, asking a stupid question or, um, you know, how do I ask somebody with 18 years of experience for help with this problem? You know, is it, do I, am I worthy? Like having those, um, those feelings when you enter into a community of existing developers is common. And we just have to find a way to kind of break down those walls at the very beginning and say, no, come in, ask your question, it'll be fine. Like I do that all the time too. Just showing showing new people that it's okay to be new. It's okay to be a beginner and we'll help you up the learning curve. And also listening to them and learning, you know, where are the places you're struggling with and can we help fix that? Whether it's with better documentation or fixing the user interface or um, having a training on it or whatever it is. Um, and I think that, that, I don't know that we're necessarily doing anything to foster that feeling of belonging, but I think that it comes naturally from um, the kind of culture you create in your community, either actively or inactively. So um, hopefully that's working. <laughs> well, certainly the last couple episodes, I've talked to a few people that very much feel like they belong to the community. You were speaking just now primarily about being welcoming to people for technical reasons. Do you have other efforts similar to efforts going on in other parts of the technology sector that you are trying to be welcoming in other ways? I think so. I mean, we put a lot of thought into um, making sure that our leadership structure uh, reflects the people we want to see in our community. So if, if your um, leadership structure, you're a tech group and you're led by a white male, um, your community might naturally end up looking like your leadership. And that's hard for people who don't look like that leadership to feel as welcome in that community. And so we've sort of set up our leadership structure to try and be a little bit more diverse in terms of um, geographic location around the world, uh, race, gender, you know, everything we can try and foster with the size of the community we have now we're trying to do. We've also tried to make it um, a little a little easier for people who speak different languages to try and get involved. We're constantly thinking about what else we can do to make more content more accessible to more people. Um, and everything is also fluid in terms of keeping an eye on who our community is. And you know, if we get a huge insurgence of population from a particular part of the world or a particular race or a particular gender or whatever, we'll put more of those people into the project management committee so that they can be involved in the leadership and make sure that their groups are represented as well. Um, so in terms of the leadership, we've thought about it there a lot. In terms of other things we could be doing in our community, it's a little a little harder. Like we're kind of, you know, it's a thought in our mind about how do we make everybody feel culture we are comfortable. We put a lot of thought into like the, um, the user registration form or the profile on backdropcms.org to try and make sure everybody had the answers that they were, you know, not going to offend anyone and comfortable with using to represent themselves. Um, so it's it's been in our thought process, but it is a hard problem to solve, and it's something that we're going to have to constantly keep working on in order to make sure that everybody feels comfortable. If there are disputes in the backdrop community, how do you guys resolve disputes? 
So the one of the primary jobs of the project management committee is to handle conflict resolution. And that can be um, either a technical decision about what feature is going to go into core, or it could be a personal um, uh, issue between two members of our community. And one of the big motivating factors to getting the project management committee set up was the fact that we started to have some conflicts between people and we're like, we need, we need to have a body in place that can handle this right away. Um, and uh, those conflicts ended up resolving on their own, but it, it was something that was kind of like a, you know, it, this isn't just a technical need having this committee, it's for helping all people um, deal with any kind of conflict. And so um, the Drupal community has a community working group. For us, it's the same group of people that'll handle any kind of conflict. Um, and we're thinking that, you know, having this diverse group of people on that committee will not only help make sure that the technical decisions that are made are in line with the philosophy, but they'll also help ensure that any personal conflicts that come up get resolved in a way that we think is gonna be fair for all parties involved. It sounds like you guys have thought through quite a few of these things. And I know I'm asking some of these questions as if you're a big group of people with lots of committees and, you know, a big structure. Yeah, well, we, I mean, we came from the world of Drupal, which was a much bigger community. And so when we were thinking about solving these problems, we were thinking about solving them on that scale. So all of our experience came from, you know, we built a structure that would work for a community at that scale and applied it to the community that we have now. So we're built to scale. <laughs> um, uh, we kind of thought, we've thought about it all. And in fact, we're at a position now where we feel like our project management committee might be too big <laughs> for the size of our community. Um, but we did that intentionally because we wanted to make sure that, you know, there wasn't too much pressure on any one person to solve all the problems. And, um, you know, we wanted to make sure that we had adequate representation and all of that. But yeah, I mean, I, th I feel like being ready for scale is never a bad problem, especially when it's something as complicated as managing communities. You want to make sure that, you know, you try and do the best you can at something like that because it is going to be affecting a, a lot of people. Yeah, that's quite a bit different too, I guess I would point out, than lots of just random projects that end up on GitHub or something like that. You know, there are lots of projects where there isn't really much of a community and it Certainly, it sounds like you guys have actively been trying to do that through the regular meetings, through the structures, looking at other free software communities that have different sort of mechanisms for dealing with conflict and making technical decisions. I've been very impressed by how you guys have put quite a bit more thought into this than your, let's just say, average open source or free software community. Yeah, well, I think it, it's something that's really important to me personally, just because, you know, long before I ever wrote a line of code for Drupal, I was running a community event. I was one of the earliest organizers of the Bay Area Drupal camp, um, which, you know, has been a very successful camp for the last what, 11, going on 11 years now. Um, and I think that, you know, that's where I came from. I didn't, I didn't come from the code <laughs> and stay for the community. I came for the community and then got into the code, um, which is kind of an interesting thing where, I mean, I was here for software originally, but it's not what 
made me stick around and it's not what made me contribute. It's kind of a, you know, I care about the community more than the code. <laughs> um, it's, you know, part of that, like, I want to help people thing, right? Where Drupal is made of people. Backdrop is made of people. It's made by people. It's made for people. It's made of people. And I think that when you're creating software, a lot of people get really focused on the software they're creating without thinking about how that affects the people that are using it, how that affects the people who are building it, how that affects the people who are supporting it and forget about the people. Um, because, you know, we're developers, we look at code all day long, but there are bigger pictures. There are, you know, things I think are more important than the quality of your code. Um, and this shouldn't be a surprise for people. I mean, when Drupal 7 first came out, I used to give this talk that was like, you know, is better code better for the community? <laughs> um, I've been harping the same, the same story for a long time here. And I think that, um, you know, when when you do something as crazy as fork a software project as big as Drupal, like you have to think about it from that same perspective. Like, it does forking the software community does the for forking the software is that better for the community? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but if you can create a community out of it where people maybe didn't feel a sense of belonging in Drupal do, or companies that felt like they weren't being served by the Drupal software anymore now do, I think you can there's a way you can find a win there too so um yeah i mean community is, is super important to me you and nate have given a lot of talks about backdrop at conferences i think i've seen you guys give your backdrop presentation at least two or three times and when you guys give that talk you have a chance a lot to talk about the software, and I, I don't think you guys necessarily talk much about a backdrop community, which is understandable, but I've heard some other people talk about backdrop as well, and there was one particularly funny slide that I saw that said, don't shoot the backdrop guy. <laughs> and that idea of a backdrop person showing up at a Drupal camp, that uh, was kind of funny to think about, but it also seems like a real sort of issue. And I just wondered if you would be willing to share about how your experiences have been since you have undertaken this thing that you just described as a crazy project. Yeah, I mean, so it's been it's been all over the map. For the most part, today, we go to a conference, and there's no hostility. There's a bunch of curiosity. There's a bunch of people who've like, decided they don't like what we're doing. But at the end of the day, it's fine. We all get along. We can, you know, have healthy debates about different ways to do things. I'm curious about what's going on in Drupal 8 and can have conversations with people about the way problems are solved there. And they're sometimes curious about how we've solved things similarly, but in a different way in backdrop. And we all can get along. Um, but when we first forked, there was a lot of um, more outward hostility towards people who were um, working on backdrop really early or interested in or supportive of it. And I think that that was because this was before Drupal 8 was done. And there was an awful lot of apprehension about what was going to happen with Drupal 8. And there was an awful lot of people who didn't have any idea of what was coming down the road. And so a lot of times we would have to go and give a talk and explain like, this is what Drupal 8 is doing. And this is what's backdrops doing. And this is how they're different. And people didn't like that. There's also some kind of um, you know, when you point at, we don't like this, that doesn't feel good to the person who spent their life working on that feature you don't agree with. 
Um, and now that Drupal 8 is out, we don't have to explain what Drupal 8 is anymore. People know. And so it makes the, the whole tone of our talk completely different. We don't have to do any comparison. We can just say, this is what Backdrop's about. And because people know what Drupal 8's about, you know, they, the message is received differently. Um, so I think that most of the hostility happened really early on. Part of it was because in order to explain what Backdrop was, we had to explain what Drupal was going to be. Um, and also because it wasn't done yet, there were a lot of people saying, you can't say what Drupal will be because it's not determined yet what Drupal will be. Um, we had a pretty good idea where it was going. We were pretty involved in those decisions. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think now everybody gets it. Like they're like, oh, Drupal 8's different. Okay, I get it. Backdrop's kind of the same. Okay, I get it. Now just show me what you know. Show me how it works. Show me why why I might choose Backdrop. Show me you know things that I'm going to care about. Um, and so I think it's fine. I definitely think like every now and then you know you meet someone at a bar and they're like, I've got a I've got a nit to pick with you, and they go on some tirade about something they care passionately about. And I think that that's fair. Like we all work on open source software because we are passionate about it. And I think that it's that fire that makes both projects really great. And I think that, you know, we're allowed to feel passionate about things and we should respect those feelings in other people as well. So um, I'm not worried about the backdrop guy getting shot at a Drupal event. I think it makes a good slide. <laughs> but I think at the end of the day, you know, having conversations with people who are doing things differently can shed light on both projects. And I think that that's healthy. So um, I think it's fine. It does to me feel like Backdrop is still part of the Drupal community as almost as this continuation of Drupal 7. Have you ever entertained the thought of somehow Backdrop becoming sort of part of the Drupal project as a different version of it? Yeah, that's actually where we started. Um, we had a lot of uh, trying long conversations with um, leaders of the Drupal community before we forked. And we're like, look, we're going to fork the project. How can we do this in a way that's going to be best for everybody? And the answer we got from everybody we talked to was, don't fork the Drupal project. <laughs> and we're like, OK, I hear that. We're going to fork it anyway. How can we do this <laughs> in a way that might be better? And we did throw out the idea of calling it like Drupal Lite or, um, you know, uh, Drupal 7.5 or something else. And, and the answer was basically like, no, you can't use the trademark. We aren't going to do it on Drupal.org. We're worried it'll, um, we're worried it will break the community. We're worried it'll take um, effort away from focus away where we want to have all of our focus on Drupal 8, and that's going to be enough work as it is. We don't want to have people working on two different things at the same time. Um, so I think the, the big concern was over forking the community. And what I'm trying to demonstrate is that we can fork the code without forking the community. Like I think having the community stay together and work together on various different things is really helpful. Um, and the fork of the code happened long before Backdrop. Uh, so Drupal 8 is different software. It is amazing that they were able to get almost all of the features from Drupal 7 into a completely different piece of software that looks and feels really similar, um, but it is different software and that's the fork. 
And so backdrop is basically, you know, okay, we'll just keep doing what we were doing before. We're going to try and improve it in ways that we hope will make it easier and faster and more affordable and, um, you know, meet some of the needs of the Drupal community that haven't been met in Drupal 7 yet. Um, but it, it's, it's, it was on the table that we should be a part of Drupal at the very beginning and it was rejected. I'm not sure how feelings will continue to change looking down the road. Um, like it, for a while there was a lot of activity in, even in Drupal 7 about, oh, we can do more than fixed bugs, we can add features, we can make improvements. Um, that seems to have slowed down a little bit, I think just because people are speeding up on Drupal 8 stuff these days. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it, this decision might come back when we get to the end of like Drupal 7 life, right? Where people have to decide, is there going to be like a long-term security update version of Drupal 7? Is this going to be a service that you can go to a Drupal agency and they'll provide a lot like Drupal 6 right now has long-term support. Um, but I think, you know, we talked about it being part of the project originally, it was rejected. I'm not sure if that conversation can be reopened. I think that the backdrop community would be open to that, but there's a lot of infrastructure that we've set up that wouldn't fit back into the Drupal model, right? Like we have a different management committee. We're going to have a different fiscal and legal sponsor. We're, we work on GitHub with pull requests. Um, it, in order to find a way to get the two back together, that would be a, a long, uh, hard process. I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm not saying we're not open to it. It's just something that um, would need a lot of careful consideration. Yeah, especially with, as you mentioned earlier, that you're purposefully trying to go in different directions in some areas. Yeah. And I mean, I think like we have three projects now, right? There's Drupal 7, which is not getting a lot of love, but it's a stable, fantastic platform. There's Backdrop that's getting like new fancy updates all the time. So it might be a better choice for building a new site. But if you already have Drupal 7 site, it's totally fine to leave it on 7. Um, and you have Drupal 8, which is kind of a different piece of software, but does a lot of the same stuff. And a lot of people could choose any of those three options. Um, if you were going to build a new site today, if it had a lot of features, you might not want to build it on um, Backdrop or Drupal 8, because maybe all of those modules aren't ready yet. Um, you can still build on 7. That's perfectly fine. And I think that um, going forward, that might you know, it might not make sense to say backdrop is the next seven. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, who knows? We'll have to see. I think that I think that as people, you know, as backdrop gets more modules, as Drupal 8 gets more modules, there are going to be fewer and fewer people building new sites on Drupal 7. Um, I think we're, we've already started to see that a little bit. And um, I don't know if creating another Drupal option is going to be the right thing to do. All of the people who are currently working on Drupal 8 might not want to go back to the way they did things on 7, right? And if they have to maintain two versions of code or three as soon as 9 comes out, that might not be a good fit either. I mean, the reason we forked is because we saw the future of Drupal going the direction of Drupal 8. So Drupal 8, Drupal 9, Drupal 10, they're all going to be very much what that is. And the way Backdrop works, the code um, the philosophy, the decision making is going to be more like Drupal five, six, seven, right? So um, it makes sense for those things to be different, just because there's 
so different in terms of their goals and their code. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, naming things is hard. Should have the same name, different stuff. I would have named Drupal 8 something else. <laughs> That's not where we are. In my opinion, Drupal 8 seems to be moving away from Backdrop quicker than Backdrop is moving away from Drupal. Yes. And I would say that because especially with Drupal 8.4.5 and now 8.5 with Drupal, that those were some pretty significant changes that made a lot of developers scratch their heads when they had to update. Did that experience that some developers had looking at the latest version of Drupal, did you guys notice any uh, change in backdrop adoption? Yes. You did. <laughs> yeah. I'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, think, I think the way that people interact with, um, with their code going forward is in Drupal is going to be very different from the way people interact with backdrop. And you're exactly right. The backdrop is not getting farther away from Drupal. And there's a reason for that, right? If you're on Drupal 7, we want you to have that one button push experience to get to backdrop. We want most of your custom code to be updatable in like half an hour. We don't want we don't want you to have to invest a lot of time and energy in getting new features for your site that's been up for a long time and doing everything you need to do. The time as an organization that makes sense for you to invest in a new website is when you need some a new website, not when you need your old website to not be end of life. Um, and so that's kind of one of the things that, that we're focusing on is making sure that we do keep it close to Drupal. And even though we are making some changes, we're also kind of bringing it back closer to Drupal than it was when we first launched because we're introducing, um, you know, anything that's hard to upgrade. We're trying to put in more backwards compatibility wrappers and APIs that are the same that call APIs that are different and having it like log to watchdog when something's deprecated. So we're trying to make it more and more like Drupal 7, um, even though it needs to have all of the fancy new features that Drupal 8, or yeah, similar features that Drupal 8 has, um, we want it to be much easier for people to get there. It's pretty fair to say, I think, that the technology field in general embraces change of all kinds. Do you ever feel like, am I just living in the past? It's just crazy to try and hold on to something old that's not new and fancy. Well, that's valid, right? Um, I feel that too. Change is hard. It's just part of life, right? Everything changes and you have to try and keep up. And whether that's your um, text editor of choice or the software that you're building websites on, like there's always going to be something shiny and new. And I think that there, you know, there are specific type of people that are always going to want to work on the latest and greatest stuff. And a lot of those people are drawn to Drupal 8 because they want to learn Symfony and they want to, you know, they've been doing Drupal for too long and they want to see what else is out there and they want to do things in the ways that maybe modern PHP developers are doing things or they want to do things more like the Java community or whatever it is. And I think that that's fine. And I think that it's good that all of those people have a software platform that appeals to the, that part of their sensibility. Um, but a lot of people just need a website. And if you're not a developer, you don't care what the code is underneath. You just need to do the thing you're doing. 
Um, and if we can build a better software platform for people who don't care about the code that's running on and we can keep it secure and we can keep it running really fast and we can keep it easy to use, like, does it really matter what the code is underneath? Um, and for me personally, I have a, a lot of experience training people and it's not training developers, it's training people. <laughs> and the easier it is to get normal people into the code, the more eyes you're gonna have on that code, catching bugs, fixing problems, adding features faster. And so I think that'll help grow your community faster too. And the bigger your community, the stronger your project. And if you're gonna kind of be closing doors to beginners at the very start of it, that might not be the healthiest thing for your community. So even though there's a benefit to having fancy software, you know, your expert developers are gonna love it. Is that what's best for the community? <laughs> That's the same question. Um, but I think that there's definitely a lot of value in having simple code if it can do the same thing. So in terms of, in terms of what we're doing in Backdrop, it's not all the same code underneath as Drupal 7. Um, we have made a lot of considerable improvements, particularly in the areas of performance, in the areas of decreasing complexity. And we have a lot of changes on the board that are, you know, we hope to continue in that vein. But what's important to us is backwards compatibility. So it's not 100% API backwards compatible, but it's the kind of thing where every time we have to make a change to the API, so this is something that affects the entire community who is supporting contributed code and custom code, we have to think like, is this change going to benefit people more than it's going to hurt all those people who have to update it? Um, and if the answer is no, then we don't change it. It just stays the same. Um, if the answer is yes, like if it's a security fix, then we'll do it anyway. And then we ask the second question. It's like, how can we make this easier on all those people who are going to have to account for this change? So can we put in a wrapper function, as long as it's not going to be decreasing performance or um, exposing a security vulnerability or whatever it is. Um, and can we help the developers uh, by logging a notice that says this function has been deprecated so that in a future backdrop, when we remove the deprecated function, they'll have a handy list to go to and check their logs and say, oh, look, I just need to swap this function with this one. And then it, you know, we're going to try and help people up that learning curve as much as possible. So it's not that we're not changing at all. It's not that we're staying in the past. It's just that we have to think about how the changes we are making are going to affect all of the people that are running the software, um, especially when those people aren't super savvy developers who can figure out all these problems on their own. Um, you know, maybe these people are just people that own a website and having a log that would tell them what to do means that they could post an error in an issue queue or a log message in an issue queue and get someone else to help them. Um, it's just kind of, it's all about can you get these people to solve the problems they're having as easily as possible? That doesn't mean we can't change the software. It just means we have to think about it and do it carefully. Well said. Well, thank you so much, Jen, for coming on the show. Is there anything else that we didn't cover that you'd like to say about the Backdrop community? Oh, man, we've covered so much. I mean, I guess my favorite thing is that um, it seems like we don't have a huge community. There are a lot of people that show up all the time. But my favorite thing is that people will just kind of come and participate when they can and then leave and don't participate when they can't. And I really like that um, we're trying to create a space where you don't have to feel committed. Uh, if you have some time to contribute something, that's fantastic. 
you don't have any time or any interest to contribute anything at all, that's also perfectly fine. Um, and I am personally really pleased with um, the number of people that have decided to contribute, even if they've never contributed to Drupal or any open source software project before. So seeing new contributors, and especially super passionate ones who find a sense of belonging in Backdrop is something that makes me really proud. Well, I don't think anybody is gonna question your motives. <laughs> and I wish you and the rest of the Backdrop community the very best. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hacking Culture. This was the third and final episode in this mini-series exploring the Backdrop community. I hope these episodes have given you a better sense about how Backdrop works, or maybe even encouraged you to check out Backdrop. Starting with the next episode of Hacking Culture, I will begin exploring another kind of hacking that I'm calling mindful hacking. Lately, I've been paying more attention to my thoughts and to the people and world around me. I've been paying more attention to the pleasure of hacking as well as the frustrations that it brings me personally. But more than just self-exploration, I'm looking at what science can tell us about the experience of hacking, how free software might affect our experiences, and much more. There's a lot of fascinating work going on in this area, and I look forward to exploring it with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hacking Culture. You can learn more about this show and subscribe at lullabot.com slash hackingculture. Please follow at Hacking Culture and at Matthew Tift on Twitter this episode is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States License. Hacking Culture is produced at Lullabot. The theme music is from the Open Goldberg Variations. Thank you for listening. <laughs>